0: Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 131 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew.
1: Sweet sailing, folks.
0: And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist.
2: Even sweeter sailing.
0: I have no idea what Andrew just said.
2: (laughs) I thought he said sweet sailing. Did
1: he not say that? I did. I don't know why I said it. I might be a little loopy for this one. I just got off a train from King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, baby. And I have been working very long hours. Uh, but I'm here, and it's going to get wacky. Oh, yeah.
3: How was your visit to the king,
1: Andrew? He says, shop at my many malls. <laughs> and He's I always didn't, saying that. I did not do that.
0: <laughs> Missed opportunity. Is is the town called King of Prussia? So if you're going to write it out, you have to write three words.
1: Yeah, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. About oh. 20 minutes outside of Philly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey, guys, it's good to talk to you. I just want to throw something out there, which is, according to our statistics, we've gotten some new listeners, which is exciting. I hope you guys are enjoying our crazy ramblings. Um, And so thank you to the new listeners. And thanks for recommending us. And thanks for writing some really nice reviews. They warm my heart. Yeah.
1: My heart is warmed as well. My heart is so warm, it's becoming a problem, but keep those reviews coming. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what really
3: gets my heart uh, so warm that I feel like I need to go to the doctor uh, is when I see people in our reviews uh, referring to themselves as yeah. That's That really uh, gets me going.
0: I mean, you're the one that made that, that term, Toby, so it's all you. <laughs> For those who
1: don't know, Toby just decided to one-sidedly call the listeners Pejos, and it has stuck. That's
3: not true, Andrew. I believe you and I did it together on an episode when Dylan and Bailey were on uh, paternity leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think I, I pitched a bunch of different names to you and you said anyone but that one. Uh, and then <laughs> that we sounds went with that sounds right. One.
0: Um, I have a tale of personal triumph.
1: Oh, congratulations. Ooh.
0: I walked past a little free library and I saw a book in it that I was interested in. And it's called um, Finley Donovan is Killing It. And it's about a mom solving a mystery. And it's been all over Bookstagram. I picked it up. I read the back. I took it in my hand. I walked two feet. And then I walked back and put it back in the little free library and closed the door. No shame. Wow. Um, I would like more praise, please, Andrew.
1: Good job sticking to your own measure of success. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ouch. (laughs)
3: Wow.
0: Wow. Um, but does anybody else have any shame any new books you've acquired I
3: don't have any new books Um, and and I'm gonna tell you why that's really impressive right now and I'm gonna derail everyone else's shame for just a few minutes because I have something vanity to speak on please do it is related to that giant crab filled wonderland that is Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere
1: okay one one or two of those words made some sense to me and one of them was Brandon same
0: (laughs)
3: come on
1: guys you don't know the Cosmere follow the memes jeez (laughs) I know. Dylan
3: is actually pretty on top of the memes of the Cosmere, despite never having read a single book. He just (laughs) sends me random memes in hopes that they make sense. And his hit rate is about
0: 50%.
3: Yeah, I, a listener um, called out that I didn't discuss this in the last episode, and I can't remember if it's because it wasn't top of mind, which it should have been, or if it happened like a day or two after we recorded. But regardless, uh, Brandon Sanderson, you can think of him as the anti George R. R. Martin in that he like publishes his books with startling regularity
1: and hates suspenders.
3: <laughs> he hates <laughs> suspenders. He doesn't like those that weird little captain's hat, and so he's he's just like always hits his deadlines. He even has on his website a percentage tracker that his fans can go look at where it's like you know his next big installment in the cosmere is 60 percent done in the second <laughs> draft and here's the estimated publishing date and it's just crazy
0: just twisting the knife <laughs> you might as well just <laughs> really do is. like tag at George R. R Martin tongue sticky out emoji
3: <laughs> it's pretty brutal um and he's also he's just super involved with his fan community very communicative. Um, and he does these weekly updates on YouTube. Um, I don't always watch, but sometimes they're fun to check in on. Then one popped up on my YouTube recommendations that was titled something like, I have a confession to make. Ooh. And, it, and even the thumbnail was him kind of like looking at the camera all grim with his little like 90s boy band bangs, which he still rocks. And okay, if you wanna experience this for yourself, go now, because I'm gonna spoil what the surprise is. But Brandon Sanderson, he starts talking to the camera, he talks about how the pandemic was really hard on him, and you know, it caused him a lot of stress, and he had a lot of responsibilities. You know, he's running this kind of multimedia empire, he's publishing a lot of books, and you just feel it coming. And I was like, oh man, are we gonna learn something terrible about Brandon Sanderson right now, and the terrible thing that he revealed is that he took the extra time the pandemic gave him from his traveling schedule to write four extra books. Which he he has released uh, as part of the Kickstarter campaign, and I think he's broken, like, every Kickstarter record ever. They have raised something absurd in, like, the tens of millions of dollars uh, within a week or two um, to get these books. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. He punked the internet pretty hard. Um, It's an extremely nerdy experience to be a part of, because it's so niche. (laughs) You know, my confession, my anti-shame confession is that I have not yet paid for the Kickstarter to get all four books, um, which you can get, I think, over the course of 2023. Um, They come to you in quarterly installments. I do want them, but I haven't gotten them yet. So, you know, hats off to me for not getting them. Future shame.
0: Well, that's just a really big Bailey move of I have a confession. I did extra work. (laughs) Yes. So respect there. And also, Toby, I mean, your birthday's coming up. So I don't know. No, that's true.
3: That's
1: true.
0: You guys
3: could ruin my shame for me. Yeah, I feel like Bailey and Brandon Sanderson get along like a house on fire.
0: <laughs> I do like suspenders, though, so...
3: Uh, well, if you became really good friends then you could just be like, Hey, can you wear these George R. R. Martin suspenders and hat for me? And he'd be like, No, we're not friends anymore.
0: Another <laughs> news, I didn't get any books, but I did buy four puzzles. That's it, moving on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of birthdays, I do have shame. No, if anyone wants to know. Does no one care? Andrew, <sighs> we want to know about your shame. Sure. Everyone just wants to talk about that hot boy band <laughs> leader, <laughs> Brandon <laughs> Sanderson. Well, no, it was my birthday. In between when we recorded and when the last podcast came out. So sort of a weird window there. But um, I did get some books for my birthday. I took yeah. a trip to the Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn and picked up Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Ooh.
2: Nice. Friend of the podcast.
1: <laughs> Friend of the podcast. And All's Well by Mona Awad. Yep also friend of the podcast. Also a friend of the podcast? Okay, cool, I didn't know. It's a one-way friendship. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so picked up those books. Also um, picked up earlier than this and unrelated to my birthday, um, Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochil Gonzalez, which I'm really excited about and I will let y'all know if I get to any of them outside of the podcast. I also wanna call out my friend Evan, um, who also listens. He sent me two t-shirts, uh, both reading-themed, one with Shakespeare on it, and one with the lovely message, reading is a ticket to adventure, and I will oh, wear them holy. proudly.
0: That's lovely. Happy birthday, Andrew. Um,
1: Happy I, birthday, Andrew.
0: I hear great things about Olga, Olga Dry's Dreaming. I haven't read that one yet. I have read All's Well and Bunny by Mona Awad, and I really like them both. They're so in the best way. Um, and... I forgot your last um, book, but, you know. Achilles? Oh, yeah.
1: Song so- of Achilles? Song of Achilles. My I- friend of the podcast, Madeline Miller. <laughs> You're right.
0: Song of Achilles I also really liked. I mean, TikTok would agree. It'll it'll break your heart in the best way. Uh, no spoilers. Um, that's awesome. Uh, did you, you know, get a gift from me? Um, I got Andrew a gift card to, like, a Dungeons & Dragons place, and there's just too many abundance of riches there.
3: He has to choose which dungeon and which dragon because you only get one for your whole life. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard.
0: I have bigger topics that we could bring up, but I also know that we are almost at time. I will just say that we have found a website where you can send money to, uh, I think it's a Polish publisher that's collecting money to print books for um, Ukrainian refugee children. Um, so that is really a really great way to help in this horrible time. Um, and we'll include a link for that in our, in our show notes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Toby, did you read a book this week, or did you just not?
2: I didn't see anything.
0: Again, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>, all
3: right, <laughs> Dylan beat me to it. He beat me to it. Um, yes, I did. I read Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man.
0: Ooh, where did he go? Where did he go?
3: Um, yeah, all right, so I'm going to dive right in. Here's your log line. In Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, our nameless black narrator begins by describing his life on the margins of New York City as an embittered recluse, then winds the clock back to his childhood to show the reader how he became the novel's titular unseen
1: character. Ooh, okay. So it's not about a superhero, which is a <laughs> no. is It seems like they changed me. a
2: lot for the Elizabeth Moss adaptation.
1: <laughs> ho, ho,
3: ho. Um... Yeah. So it's funny that you mention like that joke about him not being a superhero because the book starts off in a very like distinct fashion, I'd say, than the rest of the book. There's like a maybe 20 or 30 page section when he's kind of describing his life as the invisible man or an invisible man in New York City. And he is definitely using it as a kind of metaphor for racism and how kind of the people of the city refuse to see him. However, he does end up describing a life that's very superhero-like, in which he can like do all sorts of things and hide from the city. I only mention it because it's it's kind of out of step with the rest of the book, which is pretty straightforward and a pretty straightforward like story of how this young man became the way he was. Um, and it's it's very superhero-like. So I, it's funny that you mentioned that.
0: Interesting. Tell us more.
3: I will. Um, So, yeah, so the the novel begins with that. And um, to be honest, that part of the book is a little hard to engage with because it's so like overcranked and and really metaphorical and kind of drifts almost into like verse poetry at times or kind of just really abstract. So I was pretty relieved when we kind of move back in time and we go through his life And a a very short, very skimming plot summary would be he starts as a boy in the South in 1900s. He ends up winning a scholarship to college um, during this barbaric ritual called the Battle Royale, uh, where the white men of his town force him to participate in a fight among him and a bunch of other black boys in the town. And that kind of helps set the tone for the whole book, where there's this horrific racist ritual that the narrator is really, you know, unhappy to be participating in. However, it gives him the chance to go to college, which Mm -hmm. he is genuinely excited about. And that is the kind of flavor of this whole book, where it's really hard to... I don't know, pin down how you feel about a certain scene or a certain any kind of happening in the book, because, you know, Ellison is painting a picture, I think, of frustration throughout the whole book, where nothing can ever be wholly embraced and nothing can ever be wholly rejected. Um, it's it's very tough. <laughs> but to go back to my summary, um, he goes to college um, in this all black college um, that's unnamed in the South, um, which, again, he's very excited about. He loves college and he loves the setting that he's in. But then eventually he discovers these really unpleasant truths about the kind of person who runs the college and how they're beholden to the don- the white men who donate and control the college. He leaves the college and he goes to New York where he joins a kind of transracial justice um, movement. And he's very excited and thinks he can make a difference within this movement and then eventually discovers unsettling truths about that as well. Um, that is pretty much the plot.
0: Interesting. There's actually, when you're talking about the themes of sort of Benefiting from a twisted system, I guess, a simplification of it, that actually relates a lot to my book. Um, Mm. All right. Cool. What were your orcs and elves?
3: Well, I'm glad you asked. So my orcs, I'm gonna go first because I had only really um, two small orcs and then I had a lot of elves. Um, So my orcs, um, one of them is that the book goes back and forth between um, scenes, some of which feel really grounded in reality and very tense um, and maybe a little bit heightened for dramatic effect, but still very much in our reality. Um, And then there are other scenes, like I mentioned with the invisible man at the beginning, and then there's some scenes where he's in the hospital kind of being operated on. And it seems like he's maybe undergoing some kind of almost like magical transformation. Um, And I would say that the grounded scenes are incredible and they pull you forward with a lot of drama and a lot of energy and the dreamlike or kind of unreal scenes can be hard to connect with certain characters would kind of monologue for like four or five pages where I'd be like, okay, this is, this is dragging a little orc for me is that I really like the realistic stuff, but sometimes when it strayed from reality, I found it a little bit tedious. Mm, That's fair. The other orc that I would have is that the women in this story are very much all stereotyped sideline characters. Um, you have a helpful mother figure, you have a seductress, you have an ingenue, like the men in this book are many of them are allowed to be complex and incredibly complex, especially the narrator. I mean, three dimensional doesn't begin to you know describe it. It's more like 10 or 12 dimensional. Um, but the women uh, do come off as, as pretty flat. Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, but those are my only orcs. The elves, I would say that there is a plot to this book, um, which is maybe, <laughs> it's not on the edge of your seat exciting, but in a book like this, which is very much about examining an issue and philosophizing quite a lot of the time, um, often these types of books abandon plot entirely or have just like the shallowest plot ever. You know, this one actually has a plot that I really cared about. I cared about what happened to the narrator. And so that really helped a lot, I think, um, moving through the book.
0: I was just laughing at prose, this book has a plot.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well you know, like there are some of these like heavy hitter books that where you're just like, oh, okay, well I guess I'm it's just on me yeah. to like make it to this book on my I also own. didn't
0: know it was so long, so definitely a plot would be helpful. <laughs>
3: hmm I don't know it was that long either. Um Another elf is that uh, Ellison's dialogue is really fantastic. I'm curious to hear in the research if he did any kind of playwriting or any other kind of writing because he really, his dialogue is fantastic. His descriptions can be very lyrical and beautiful. Some of the voices he captures for different characters are are really impressive.
1: Well, Toby, you'll have to wait. (laughs) Oh, I hate it when he does that.
3: (laughs) And then uh, I will say my last uh, big elf is that this is a, very much a novel presented scene by scene where we kind of draw the curtain back and it is kind of play like where we see, you know, we're going to be in this scene for 50 pages or whatever. And so some of those scenes, especially the Battle Royale that I mentioned at the beginning of this review, are incredible. Like they managed to fuse tension and excitement and drama with a really painful philosophical look at the issues that ellison wants to discuss so the kind of merging of all those things into one in certain scenes in this book is why you know it's on everybody's shelves everyone has heard of this book or most everyone there's just times when you're reading those scenes where you're like okay yep i can see why i'm still reading this book uh today and it's really it blew me away awesome um so i think to kind of wrap things up is that One of the best things I can say to describe my experience of reading this book is that I don't 100% understand the title. I think I understand the concept sort of of what being an invisible man is. to the narrator, but the narrator himself kind of contradicts what it is to be an invisible man. If I really enjoy a book, I will do some, you know, looking up and kind of seeing what I've missed about it online. (gasps) Um, And I know, shame, shame. Um, That's my shame for this week.
0: I do that with every book, Toby.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I I saw kind of a consensus among some people. um, It's something that I really like to go with for this book, which is it's meant to be a little bit frustrating and contradictory and confusing because that's what the experience of the narrator is. It's not a book that says racism is a problem and here is the way forward. It says racism is a problem and man, is it a huge problem. That's not to say that this book is, you know, a complete bummer to read the whole time. Um, But it is to say that walking away from this book, for me, feeling challenged and confused um, while enjoying it, I think, Hopefully, <laughs> is is supposed to be part of the reading experience.
0: You understood the assignment.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Overall, I'm really glad I read it. Um, I you know it dragged in parts here and there. You know it's an it's an older book, but I really enjoyed it. I gave it four out of five stars.
1: Excellent. Oh, ho, ho. well, that's exciting, Toby. Four stars. Um, this
0: is one that like I probably have on my what's the word aspirational to read list. Like just on Goodreads, I don't have a physical copy, but like you said, it's one that. A lot of people just have on their shelves or want to read. So I'm glad that you liked it.
2: The invisible to read list. Invisible Absolutely. Invisible to read
0: list. Exactly. Um, cool. Um, well, Andrew, do you have any facts on Mr. Ellison? Was he a playwright? I'm dying to know. Was he invisible?
1: <laughs> um, well, I have the facts right here. Stay tuned, folks, after three more commercial breaks. Just <laughs> kidding. We don't do commercials. Ralph, what do you think his middle name is? Marie.
2: That's right. His
1: name is Ralph Waldo Ellison. Whoa. Because he's named after Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ah. Which I find delightful. I do like that.
3: Wow. There's actually a lot um, of Emerson going on in this particular book,
1: which is interesting. Hmm. Well, his family chose well then. So uh, Ralph Waldo Ellison was born on March 1st, 1913 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He was... One of three sons, though one of them died at a young age. His father also died when uh, Ellison was quite young from, apologies if this is a little gross, but it's very odd, so I'm going to call it out, from injuries suffered when a 100-pound ice block dropped and shattered and stabbed.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Where he was working. Yeah. So, moving right along. (laughs) um,
0: (laughs) That sounds like something out of, um, what's the... Well, oh, final they... Destination, yeah,
1: anyway. Exactly, that's why I called it mm-hmm. out. And I don't mean to make light of it, but I just had never heard of something like that happening.
2: The whole world was probably Final Destination before like OSHA and workers' rights. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> it's like
1: if we, if we learn nothing from the jungle... It might not surprise you that uh, before he passed away, Ralph's father expected that young Ralph might end up being a poet. Um, They moved around a little bit before returning back to Oklahoma. They were quite poor and scraping by. He worked a lot of jobs, including as a shoe shiner. He also got really into music and um, played the trumpet. Uh, He worked for a really long time to afford the down payment on a trumpet um, and uh, continued and worked really hard studying And that is what eventually brought him to the Tuskegee Institute. Um, Mm. Apparently, and I I can't verify this, but only because they had an opening for a trumpeter in their band. He also played the saxophone, in case you were worried. I was. So he went uh, to the Tuskegee Institute, which, if you are not aware, was founded by Booker T. Washington. And he... Uh, maybe with a small parallel to the character in invisible man, uh, went in with a lot of enthusiasm and had sort of the shine uh, come off of his beliefs in the school. Mm -hmm. He found the same sort of economic hierarchy there that he found back home to illustrate how, um, sort of not wealthy his family was. He got to college, not by car, not in any fancy way, but literally by hopping trains. Wow. All around until he could get from Oklahoma to um, to Alabama, where the Tuskegee Institute was. Dang! Wow! Yeah. Beyond that, he he did find while he was there a love for writing. He mm-hmm. also was discovered by a teacher, uh, Morteza Desil Sprague, um, who encouraged him to write, and also is who um, his first essay collection is dedicated to.
3: Wowsers Bowser's Morteza Sprague. That is an old timey name, if I've ever
1: heard one. I well, love it. With the middle name Drezel, too. Drezel. So he also continued his uh, his interest in music, continued reading widely, but he decided that uh, he wasn't getting enough out of school and did not graduate, left before completing the requirements in 1936 and went, as you might guess, to New York. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, I call this out um, because also in New York, he did get involved in... <laughs> Uh, The Communist Party and then also got disillusioned with that. So, again, there's some themes that are similar to his his biography. But he also went out of his way to say that this is not an autobiographical thing. Uh Mm -hmm. So he went to New York initially to study sculpture. But I don't think he spent a lot of time doing that. I couldn't find any more information on that. And initially started living at a YMCA. And he met pretty early on in his time. One Langston Hughes. Heard of him? Mm. Oh. That was actually sort of how he was introduced to Harlem's Communist Party. um, And also how he met Richard Wright, who would be a friend and sort of an enemy in his life.
0: I read his book, Black Boy, which I feel like are compared. I don't know why, though, besides.
1: If only
3: there was a word for someone who's also your friend and your enemy at the same time.
0: (laughs) Uh, Like an enne-friend. Like an (laughs) enne
1: Well, yes, for me it's Bailey. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but Richard Wright um, was someone who encouraged him after reading a book review that Ellison had written to pursue writing as a career. So it wasn't necessarily an aspiration right away, but he had a certain attitude for it, and then worked really hard, um, published a lot of um, stories, and was continually writing book reviews and criticisms. He also then received. Despite not having a novel or an idea for a novel, based on the quality of his writing from a publisher, an advance of $1,500 at the time to write a novel whenever he got around to it. Wow. Good deal. Yeah, good deal. That novel, guess what it's called? Invisible
3: Man. $1,500 I owe to the publishing company.
1: Nope. Invisible Man. Oh, (laughs) Uh, that was so (laughs) close.
0: I just imagine him going to the publisher and be like, listen, my name is Ralph Waldo and So like I, I get in advance, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah.
1: It, was, it just seemed like he was trying to talk himself out of getting a publishing deal. And the publisher was like, no, please. <laughs> <laughs> we want to give you money.
0: Fine, I guess.
1: So uh, Invisible Man won the National Book Award. It was very well received, which I was surprised by, not because I, I know anything really about it, but it, because it does seem like such an experimental, different book for the time. He um, then did not write another novel in his lifetime. Huh? Yeah. I didn't know that. He um, published a a book uh, that was a collection of essays um, called Shadow and Act, which is the one that uh, dedicated to um, Morteza Sprague Um, and worked as a professor at places such as Bard, Rutgers, Yale, New York University, which he ended up working at for the longest time. Um, He apparently... And there's sort of conflicting stories on this, um, was just such a perfectionist and so worried about not living up to the success of Invisible Man that he just never completed his next work. Hmm. He never thought it was right. His house burned down at one point, and he claimed that he lost almost a complete draft of that and was so afraid that he had like couldn't recreate what he thought was really good, uh, that he just never like could get it finalized again. At the time of his death, um, he had 2,000 pages of a second novel, which wow. was then edited and compiled into a posthumous release, which is called Juneteenth.
3: I just want to say, that how badly do you think that George R. R. Martin wished he lived in like 1958, so he could claim his house burned down and that the whole draft of the Winds of Winter is in there? <laughs> yeah,
2: I was going to say that sounds a little suspicious with the fire thing. Of, I'm I'm sure it was a fire and it was very devastating the house for him, but I can also imagine where it's like, oh, and you won't even believe it too. I wrote a whole other book that was perfect. <laughs>
0: That must be a lot of pressure, though, to have, like, your first book be so well received and have to follow it up. Yeah, I can imagine.
2: Not for Brandon Sanderson, it's not.
1: (laughs) And so, yeah, he he lived out the rest of his life primarily working as a professor. Um, He received many awards throughout his life, including the National Medal for the Arts, um, which he received from President Reagan. Uh, He died in 1994 of pancreatic cancer in New York City. So in response to Toby's criticism of the book, that there weren't strong female characters, I do want to make sure not to neglect to mention that he was married twice. And his second wife, Fanny McConnell, uh, was a major influence for him, including working to edit his book, including Invisible Man, and a big influence on his writing. Oh, dang.
0: Unsung women. Gotta gotta yeah. sing their praises. Those are nice. excellent mm-hmm. facts, Andrew. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, great facts. Anything anyone wants to ask me?
3: <laughs> um... You know, uh, Bailey, uh, Ralph Waldo Ellison has such a small body of work. Uh, Is there anything else you know about bodies or works or writing?
0: (laughs) Great transition, Toby. Yes. Um, I read a book this week, too. I read the book My Body by Emily Ratajkowski.
3: Bod, bod, bod.
0: My body. Tell me yes. (laughs) Um, Emily Ratajkowski, you may know her. She is a world famous model. She is known for just being gorgeous and kind of like a sex pot. Like she's very, her body is very sexualized. She's particularly known for her dancing um, naked in the Blurred Lines video by Robin Thicke. That was her big breakout. Um, But she's so much more than that, which is what this book of essays is about. Um, It's about how people know her for her body, her literal body, but that she has so much else um, going on in her story and in her person. And so I found the book very interesting. This just came out last year. Um, Like I said, it's a collection of essays. I think there's probably about 10. One of them was published previously, which is called um, Buying Myself Back. And it talks about how there was a photographer who took advantage of her and took these compromising photos um, when she was drunk and then started to sell them without her permission and printed books and making money off her. And that's just one example of just how, in general men, but how other people are making money based on her body, which is such a personal thing to her. But at this point, she recognizes that her physical body is almost separate from herself because people have turned her into a commodity.
3: That reminds me a lot of um, a lot of uh, a book that we covered a long time ago on the podcast, Blonde, um,
2: mm-hmm. by Joyce yeah. Carol yeah. Oates,
3: the Marilyn Monroe novel she wrote, and a very similar story of, of photographers owning images that would make them a lot of money, but they're images of this woman's body. And yeah, I don't know, it's an interesting parallel.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's so interesting that it is pictures of her, but she has no ownership of it. She also, um, there's one essay called Pamela, where she talks about Pamela Anderson. And I thought that was interesting, especially for those of you who've been watching the show on Hulu, Pam and Tommy, um, because Pam Anderson has a similar experience where people made assumptions about her because of her body um, that weren't true. Um, One of the main themes of this book, um, and that I think people online have been saying, is Oh, wow. Emily Ratajkowski is smart, uh, which, which I think is pretty offensive. But And she talks about it in the book. What's interesting is that she's very conscious of her place in the world. So she talks about how you know she knows that if she references an antonioni film suddenly her photographers are going to respect her or like if she mm. says like oh i studied art they're suddenly going to look at her differently rather than as she says about the blurred lines video she says i was nothing more than the hired mannequin like they just think of her as a body versus as a person so mm. she is an excellent writer um and as I said, very smart. I think her parents, well, Andrew, I don't want to spoil it. Maybe Andrew has it in the facts, but one of them... Was a professor. She's very smart, um, and she talks a lot about her conflicted feelings and puts you in this world that, at least for me, I have no concept of what it would be like to be in this world. Like she talks about really fancy parties, getting paid vacations because you're a huge influencer. You know, wearing these tiny skimpy outfits and people looking at you. I've never had that experience, so it's interesting to get inside her head because. She is so smart, and I'm sure most models are smart <laughs> in the same way, but she's able to see what other people are looking at her and the power that their gaze gives her, but then at the same time takes away from her. Um,
1: yeah. Well, it's
3: good that we are- have um, Andrew on this podcast because he can talk to us about like his skimpy outfits that he wears around
1: town in Woodstock, right? Uh, yeah, but you don't have to talk about him because the town is talking about it for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, you got, you know, a really famous guy to pay for you to go to the Super Bowl just to look pretty, right, Andrew? That happened to you this year?
1: Almost every year, but this year, yes.
2: <laughs> Kanye was using Andrew to get back at Kim.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so I found that to be really interesting because there are times where obviously I don't understand her world or I don't understand why she behaves in a certain way, which is, you know, Showing a lot of confidence in like being naked or being overexposed or whatever, but it's for a purpose. Like, I don't understand it, but she puts me in her head and I start to realize that she's doing this recognizing why and how she's doing it, if that makes sense. Does that make sense?
2: It kind of does. I mean, you were mentioning the Pam and Tommy thing, and I, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but like, It seems like, yes, their stories are similar, but they take place in two different types of worlds, the 90s versus the
0: 2020s. It's different, but in some ways the same. Yeah. But with Instagram changes it. Um, And, you know, some people have criticized the book because they're like, how dare you be critical of this world? And, you know, people objectifying you when you put picture naked pictures of yourself on Instagram every day and, and want the likes. But that's the thing. It is thorny. And she's talking about. Her need for validation, at the same time recognizing that it's messed up that she wants that need.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's the thing where, like, this is also not a Payment Tommy podcast, but, like, the idea that in the 90s people really didn't have control of their own place in the media and they kind of had to, like, whatever people wrote about you, that's it. And then the internet kind of flattened everything that, like, oh, you can now put your own stories out into the world.
0: Yes, but at the same time, once it's out on the internet, you have no control over True. it, um, which is what happened with these images. Like when the photographer took advantage of her and she's trying to stop, you know, people from buying the book or him publishing it. It's like, well, the images are already on the internet. So, you know, you don't have any control over over this part of yourself, which I think is interesting and connects to um, Pam Anderson. An example of how she or recognizes her conflicted feelings on page 207, she says, I so desperately craved men's validation that I accepted it, even when it came wrapped in disrespect, which I think makes sense. Like she describes this scene of... Before blurred lines her big breakout was the cover of Treats magazine and she's nude on the cover and that kind of was her big breakout.
3: Oh boy, that magazine title is rough.
0: Um but the story that the photographer gives is that he was the one that discovered her that like he was going to, you know, get rid of her because she doesn't look like your traditional model so he was going to tell her to leave and then she started talking about Antonioni and impressed him and she's like he's like let's see what you got and she came out naked and he's like whoa look at you um so she shares pieces from his interview and then explains it from her side that like he thinks that he was the one that discovered her but in reality she knew if she said a certain thing and if she came out in this powerful, confident way that he would look at her differently, mm. but that it's safer to have men think that they're the ones with the agency. So all of this is to say that I think the essays are very interesting and very provocative. Um, as a group of essays, it doesn't, well, it definitely doesn't have like, as you said, for Invisible Man, there's no cohesive plot. It, it You know, they're told out of sequence. Um, and there are parts where that you don't get, like you don't, you know, really know how she meets her husband or what it's like when she found out she was pregnant, stuff like that. That's kind of told off page. But at the same time, if you just look at each essay individually, there's a lot of value in each one. Uh, One other thing I wanted to say before I give my final rating is that if you are sensitive to trigger warnings or triggers, I would definitely look up trigger warnings, content warnings before you read the book, because there's lots of talk of um, sexual assault and harassment and stuff like that, that she's experienced because men think that they have control of her body. Um, So yeah, all this to say, I'm going to give this book four stars. I'm really looking forward to see what she writes next. Um, And she's kind of talked about that she doesn't really want to act again. She wants to distance herself from Hollywood, but I'm rooting for her now. I'm on her side and I, I want her to do really well. So four stars and I'm going to keep it on my shelf.
3: Nice. I think you've inspired me to read this book, Bailey.
0: Oh, yeah. I think you'd like it. It's interesting, especially if you like Blonde. Andrew, do you have any facts on Emily Ratajkowski?
1: Not a lot is known. (laughs) (laughs) Very reclusive. No, I do. Um, I will say that because this book is autobiographical, I think... Uh, the best way to get to know more about her is probably to read the book. So I'll say that before I go into what the internet says. Um, <laughs> so, yes, Emily Ratajkowski was born on June 7th, 1991. Um, she was born in London to American parents and uh, moved to just outside of uh, San Diego. Californians, correct me on the pronunciation is Incidas? Encinitas. Encinitas? Encinitas, okay. yeah.
2: I thought you were going to say, how do you pronounce San Diego?
1: <laughs> um, she Attended UCLA for a year, but dropped out to pursue modeling full time, which is not surprising considering at age 14, she was approached to start modeling. She had a few small acting roles when she was um, a kid, uh, specifically in iCarly. And uh, as Bailey referenced at UCLA, she studied uh, like studio art. But uh, she found the fine art education at UCLA in conflict with her artistic concepts and did not enjoy socializing with fellow students, which I feel like is a very direct way of saying, y'all were annoying.
0: <laughs> I feel like that was also written by a bitter ex-classmate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe, but freshmen at studio art school, yeah. it could be a little maybe, uh, not my not, not the people I choose to hang out with. Sorry yeah. to all our freshmen studio art majors. <laughs> Every new listener we got is from the studio art program. <laughs> Uh, she posed on the cover of Treats magazine, which is credited as her breakout, though. I think actually, if we go backwards, she had already filmed the music video for Maroon Five's love somebody before that came out. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I think you could be right, but I think people think of her as like the blurred lines girl.
1: Not as Maroon Five heads. She apparently did not want to do the blurred lines video, not because of any of the content, but because she didn't want to be typecast as just a music video model, um, but she decided against declining
0: she references that in one of the early essays and just talks about how you know for her this was just sort of like a one-day gig and it's unfortunate that that's what she's known for when there's so many other things she was interested in
1: right and and i feel like how she has understood that experience has very much shifted over time because initially she came out like very pro it, being like a a female empowerment thing that that she was doing but in retrospect sees some of the more insidious aspects of it.
0: Yeah, that's totally correct. And she talks about how a lot of it came with age. Like as she grew up, she realized, oh, that wasn't empowering, even though it was a female director, et cetera.
1: Um, So obviously, that song was a big hit. That video caused a big stir um, and started doing more acting roles. Being in the blurred lines video ben affleck saw her and says that he then cast her from that to be in gone girl as the mistress character
0: i don't know if you have this as a quote but apparently they were looking for a woman that men love and women hate and ben affleck's like how about emily radikowski
1: <laughs> i did not have that quote um but i like your ben affleck impression quite a bit <laughs> thank you and so as as bailey hinted um she Has gone on and done more acting, but has sort of stepped away from that. She her acting roles include the films Uh We Are Your Friends, I Feel Pretty, and Everyone's Favorite, Entourage. Um, as well as some TV roles, including The Spoils Before Dying and Joe Swanberg's Easy. Uh obviously she's one of the most sought after and successful models in the world, but she's also become known for her activism and her um advocacy for a lot of progressive causes. Uh, She supported uh, Bernie Sanders in both uh, 2016 and 2020. Specifically, uh, in 2016, she came out against Gloria Steinem, suggesting that women only went to Bernie Sanders rallies to find husbands. Uh, She's also campaigned for uh, Planned Parenthood and many other uh, causes. Cool. One last story I want to tell because I thought this was funny. Uh, I don't particularly understand or trust NFTs, but um, <laughs> a, an artist appropriated one of Radikowski's Instagram posts without her consent and put it in an art gallery. Then to get back at him, seven years later, Radikowski <laughs> took a picture of herself in front of the painting that he used and then made an NFT of it and sold it for one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars which i feel like is a pretty good way of getting back at somebody using your image without um your consent
0: that's great uh that's one of the essays is her um upset about that image you know being taken and put in a gallery i didn't know the nft part that's a good revenge
1: yeah i think this has happened since uh, since the book came out she seems to have a really like clever way of getting back at people, which I appreciate. Yeah.
0: NFTs, the best revenge.
1: Yeah. NFTs, a force for good in our community. Surely. <laughs> surely. There's definitely no insidious side of NFTs. Just surely kidding. Not. Don't tr- trust no one. <laughs> Finally, I will say uh, since 2018, uh, Redakowski has been married. She married Sebastian Bear McClard, who is an actor and producer. He has produced, like, the Safdie's work, Uncut Gems and Heaven Knows What and Good Time. Uh, they married after only a few weeks of dating uh in a small courthouse wedding in new york city they have one child together who was born on march 8th 2021 which is my birthday his name is sylvester nice
0: see this is this is my only criticism is i wanted more stories about how she met her husband and why they decided to get married so quickly that sounds interesting but who knows
1: and why they chose my birthday
3: to have their kid (laughs) (laughs) that's in my body too the invisible body it's (laughs) coming out 2024.
0: awesome Well, those are great facts, Andrew. I really enjoyed them having read the memoir. Now I know more. So thank you.
1: You are welcome.
0: Do you have any fun games about invisible bodies? Mm -hmm.
1: I do. In fact, the name of the game is Invisible Bodies. Ah!
0: (laughs) Billy wins. Um, Did I just win the game?
1: (laughs) I think you did win the game, but let's play it anyway and see if we get a different result. Okay. So the way this game is going to work, which is again titled Invisible Bodies, um. We listed to some of the acting credits of, um, of, of Emily Ratajkowski, and I'm sure everyone's favorite and the most well thought of them is the movie version of the television show Entourage. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, if you know anything about Entourage, you know that it uh, stars Adrian Grenier and his entourage of people as a, a movie star uh, in Hollywood. So real life people show up as cameos all the time. Yes. In fact, in the movie Entourage, Emily Ratajkowski plays herself. Cool. So, wow. There's a problem, though, in this version of the world. Uh-oh. Uh oh. The connection of these two books has given a lot of celebrities invisibility, um, a condition that they cannot prevent. <laughs> <laughs> this is among the stupidest games I've ever made. I love it. <laughs> so, what I'm going to do is describe a situation in which a celebrity is invisible, and you have to tell me which celebrity it is. <laughs>
0: i mean okay. let's do it <laughs> all right
1: <laughs> all right so the way it'll work is i will subscribe to the situation you will buzz in by saying i see him and then <laughs> tell me uh i see him or i see her or any version of i see said like she accused uh, mm-hmm. and tell me which uh celebrity it is
0: got it wait to clarify are these people who were in entourage or this is just in general celebrities
1: just say turtle for every answer and you're good the pool of celebrities that i'm choosing from are all people who made cameos in 2015's film Entourage.
3: See, the thing, Bailey, is that Vincent Chase, he's such a big star, he could socialize with anybody, and you'd believe it. That's what's cool about the show. Aquaman. <laughs> I feel like that's one thing that low-key almost every dude our age is ashamed of is how much we all watched Entourage and how bad it was that we didn't realize I at the time. Like there was
0: a time in the world where the girls watched Sex and the City and the guys watched Entourage. Mm-hmm. And I reject that. Anyway, I'm ready to play and win.
1: So, first off... Surprising wide receivers in Florida. Footballs are hitting them in the head, tossed by this invisible man. I see him. Bailey?
0: Dan Marino. <laughs> was gonna...
1: Coming out of retirement and still hitting people in the head with footballs because they cannot see where they're coming from.
0: Oh, yeah. I see him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bailey? Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady. Yes, Tom Brady is back in Tampa. Tampa Bay lives, and he's... <laughs> invisible now, apparently, which might be an advantage while you play football. Yeah. There you go. Entrepreneurs everywhere are confused as they show up to this week's filming of Shark Tank, only to see an empty chair that sometimes pushes money in front of them. I see him. Toby? Mark Cuban? That is correct. Mark Cuban shows up as himself.
2: Yes. Mark Cuban can throw footballs too, though, so...
1: Alright, so uh, a third of a point for Bailey for that first you... answer and one full point for Toby. <laughs> Hooray! People are confused... Everywhere in Hollywood as they keep hearing whispers over their shoulders that say, I have a certain set of skills, but they turn around to see no one. I see him. Bailey. Liam Neeson. That is correct. Yeah. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. The most recent reboot of Family Favorite Frasier is on hold because we cannot find one of its stars. Um, I see him. Bailey.
0: David Hyde Pierce? Um No. <laughs> I
1: can't remember the name of the guy. another more obvious choice. I can't remember the name of the guy who's Frazier. <laughs>
0: Frazier Crane.
1: <laughs> Frazier,
0: yeah. It, I see Fraser Crane. Dan Marino. What's his name? <gasps> David I. Um, pierce is in Frazier. Spelley he is.
1: And... I see him. It's Kelsey Grammer. All right, so you're both tied at two points. It all comes down to this. All right. This is a real niche joke, and I don't know if any of you are going to get it, but we're going to try. Um <laughs> In a reboot of Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing, Squash Ball is bounced against an office wall with no source. I see him. Bailey. Bradley Whitford. Nope. Nah. The guy who plays Toby. (laughs) Yeah, the guy who plays Toby is correct. (laughs) I don't know his name.
0: R.I.P.? Do I get a point? (laughs) No.
1: He's dead. He's alive. He's in the
0: good doctor. Um, Alison (laughs) Janie.
1: I Googled his name. Shall I just say it? Yeah, but pretend that I did a good job constructing <laughs> this game and say it properly. Um, I see him. Yes, Toby? Richard Schiff. That is correct. Toby wins by naming Toby. Congratulations. You found them all.
3: One of the coolest Tobys in uh, in popular culture, I'd have to say.
0: I was just going to say, I have a confession. I haven't seen all of West Wing, but I have <gasps> written written four extra books. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Bailey, I, I, I've got bad news for you. He's on every single episode of the West Wing. Yeah, yeah but I didn't
0: see, see this. Does he always throw a ball in every episode? No. Whenever
1: he's thinking, he he like throws his squash ball against Rob yeah. Lowe's office. Millennium guys
2: getting Rise Up with Entourage and West Wing references all throughout this episode. (laughs) I know, yeah, you really put this in my sweet
1: spot, Andrew. Thank you. Congratulations, Toby. I want to point out that people I did not include in this game include other participants in Blurred Lines, T.I. and Pharrell, as well as Mike Tyson, Mark Wahlberg, Steve Nash, Russell Wilson... (laughs) Julian Edelman, David Arquette, Gary Busey, Army Hammer, and Thierry Henry. So there were lots of options.
0: That's a lot of dudes. Also, I feel like Mark Wahlberg should be like the free space in the middle of the bingo card because he's producer. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it based on his life? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Thank you for that game, Andrew. Awesome job, me. Bad job, me. Good job, Toby.
3: And to celebrate me choosing all the correct celebrities, (gasps) do we have a little ritual to participate in?
0: I think it's time for Dylan to be let out of his cage and to do (laughs) the The
3: choosing. The choosing.
0: Where Dylan chooses books at random off our shelves to read next. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, I don't want to point the finger here, about how easy your books have been recently, Toby. They haven't. That's <laughs> why I'm giving you number 14, Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. Oh. Because there's finger in the title. I
0: think I have this book, Toby, that you like unloaded on me before <laughs> you went on your road trip. So I think it's on my shelf, too. <laughs>
3: It's a big edition. It's a big book. Um, I'm excited to read this one. I didn't realize this until I had this book on my shelf for a long time, but they made a Korean language version of this story called The Handmaiden that I think I went to see with Dylan and Bailey that I really enjoyed. So I'm excited to uh, read this book.
0: Well, I'm going to read it along with you. And I didn't know it was made. Made into that movie either, and also that was an awkward movie viewing experience with you guys. But you know, <laughs> it's fine. Teach <laughs> their own. Uh, what about my? book? hmm.
2: Well, who can say what it is?
1: Who can say, say what it is?
2: book is? Only, only Dylan. Dylan. <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> I'll tell you. Ah. Uh, it's number forty-three. Hoot by Carl Hiassen. Uh, Hoot. Uh,
0: This is fun because this is one that I almost gave up. Remember when I was doing The Purge?
2: This is fun because this is one I
3: didn't want to read.
0: Well, but my friend slash pageo Evan was like, you got to keep Hoot and you got to read it to your daughter. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited. This is one that like I've just seen on every like school library shelf. And so I picked it up for free from a little free or a library book sale. So I hope it's a Hoot.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Appreciate it. Okay, awesome. So that means uh, in two weeks on the podcast, I will be reading Hoot by Carl Hyacin and Andrew will be reading Persepolis by Marjane Sartrapi. Exciting. It's a hot episode.
3: It's a good episode.
0: Thanks for listening to The To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at The Two Read List Podcast.
1: If you like what you heard today, uh, you can help us out by leaving a rating and reviewing on iTunes. Specifically, the best way to do that is to rate us five stars, we recommend, and also to leave a review, as we established earlier on in this episode, they warm our heart, sometimes to an unhealthy degree.
3: (laughs) Uh, And if you have a friend, uh, specifically an invisible friend, because they tend to be very influential, please go ahead and tell them about our podcast, especially if they like books or bookish things. Uh, The best advertisement for us is word of mouth. Um, So yeah, we really love when you do that.
0: Or if they have a body, you know, if they're invisible or a body. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkey for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, Books,
1: books, 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 books,
2: books.